as I said, today's message will be Peter, First Peter, chapter one, hope for the believer, and um, I trust that God will bless His word as we open it. But before we do, I'm just going to do another quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing me to Casopolis this morning. I pray that you bless each and every saint here, um, that they would know the surpassing love of Jesus Christ. And Lord, um, there's nothing particularly special or mystic in the word saint. And so Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here that is not yet a saint of yours, that, that another day would not pass before they make that decision to simply follow Christ and to be known as one of the saints, much as Paul said, the saints of Caesar's household greet you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we open First uh, Peter, I have four different hopes. Four different hopes that we have in this first chapter of Peter. And the first one is, we have the hope of an incorruptible inheritance. As I was coming in today, I was admiring this beautiful building. God has really blessed you guys to be able to have it. And I've been watching some of the things, uh, some of the posts on Facebook as it was coming together. And I was very excited for you guys. And so to see it come to fruition is exciting. But there will be a time when this building will corrupt. When, if it is, especially if it's not properly maintained, it will fall over and it will be like, oh, well, there used to be a church here because it is made of temporal parts. It is a corruptible inheritance. It would be a great inheritance, but it's a corruptible inheritance. So we're going to look at the first six verses of 1 Peter here and see about our, our incorruptible inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Please follow along if you will. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the, stra the strangers scattered through Alpontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, in the first verse, we see that Peter, he's identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's kind of interesting that in Peter's case, his credentials are not questioned. Remember when Paul would write an epistle, often he would say, not by the will of men, but by the will of God. Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. 
But Peter was so vocal in the early in during Jesus' ministry that people who knew the story and no doubt knew the stories that were handed down because a lot of these stories were handed down orally. And of course, uh, along the way, the apostles were writing the Gospels. But Peter was known by many of these people that he was writing to as an apostle. So he simply says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I want to mention something here. I recently had the privilege of seeing the movie Overcomer. It's the newest movie by the Kendrick Brothers. And I would really recommend it. Because the impetus of the movie is, the question that gets asked repeatedly throughout the movie is, who are you? When we identify ourselves as who we are, we may say, well, I'm, I'm a teacher at a Christian school in Grand Rapids. That's one way that I might say who I am. It's actually a frequent way. Because what's the first thing we ask people often when we meet them? What do you do for a living? Or we might say, I'm, I might say I'm the son of Michael Gomison. Because some people may know who Michael is may not know me as well, so I might identify myself as my son to give them context. But what is the most important identifier for the believer? The most important identifier for the believer is that they belong to Jesus Christ. And that is what Peter is saying in this first verse. I belong to Jesus Christ. And then he, he is talking to the strangers Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I think it's interesting that Galatia is mentioned here because I was recently alerted to a group of believers who somehow have separated Paul to the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter simply as an apostle to the Jews. I think that's an, inerr- that's an inaccurate assessment and Peter is writing to Galatia here. Now, Peter had to go through a lot of things to realize that the, that the Gentiles were accepted in the Beloved. Remember, he was the one who God sent the vision of the sheet, and God put it down and said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Do not call unclean the thing that I call clean. And then he was sent to Cornelius, and he would later testify that the Holy Spirit, who was sent to them as God's chosen people, is no respecter of persons, and yes, falls upon the Gentiles as well as upon the Jews. And then he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied. So, the fact of the matter is that the blood of Jesus Christ allows us to have our peace multiplied. What was Jesus able to say to the disciples right after his resurrection? He didn't say, you idiots, for not believing me. He did call the people on the road to Emmaus foolish. Somehow Jesus was able to do that in a loving way, which I don't think you and I are necessarily capable of all the time. But he said, peace be unto you. And Peter is saying the same thing here. 
he says, Grace unto you in peace be multiplied. And then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. What is that lively hope? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, can we hang on to this inheritance ourselves? No. That's why it says in the fifth verse, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We sang earlier today, He holds me fast. I don't think I'd ever sang that song before, but I really like it. Wherein you rejoice greatly, though for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness and manifold, through manifold temptations. And we know that that is talking about trials. Because James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. So we may say that things are not going the way we expected them to. We may um, even have bad days where we feel like God has abandoned us, that he doesn't know what's going on. I know I've had a couple of those days over the last couple of months. But the reality is that God not only knows, but he's in control. And... Uh, Peter is saying that these manifold temptations are going to work an important purpose in us. So our first hope is the hope of the incorruptible inheritance. Um, one thing that I like to do when I speak is I will have uh, men in my audiences look up the cross-references... I do this for a twofold purpose. Number one, to keep you awake. And number two, so that I don't have to turn in my Bible quite so frequently or back and forth between the main passage. So I'm going to ask that we look at 2 Timothy 4.8. If one of you gentlemen gets there, you can just stand and read that for us. That would be great. 2 Timothy 4.8. Finally, brethren, or finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Now, this is Paul. He's getting ready to, um, by tradition, we, we believe that he was beheaded by uh, Nero. He's getting ready to go and give up his life for the gospel. He says, I have, he said previously, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. But he is saying to Timothy, he says, I'm going to my reward, my reward, the crown of life. But it's not just for me. Paul never says, look at me, I'm Paul. I'm so great. Instead, he says, this is not for me only but for all those who love his appearing. Remember, because Paul said, it's not about me. He said, some of you say, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos. And he said, but what about Christ? 
This isn't about Paul or Apollos. This is about Christ. And if I am hindering you from following Christ fully, then it's wrong. He said, I'm, I'm glad that I only baptized a few of you because it's not who baptizes you that matters, but who you're baptized into. So, um, I found this story. It says the tax collector one day came to a poor minister in order to assess the value of his property and determine the amount of his taxes. I am a rich man, said the minister. The official quickly sharpened his pencil and asked intently, Well, what do you own? The pastor replied, I am a possessor of a Savior who earned for me everlasting life and who has prepared for me a place in that eternal city. What else? I have a brave, pious wife, and Solomon says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. What else? Healthy and obedient children. What else? A merry heart which enables me to pass through life joyfully. What else? That is all, replied the minister. The official closed his book, took his hat, and said, You are indeed a rich man, sir, but your property is not subject to taxation. So, just a little bit of a sample of the blessings that God gives us. The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. When we go man's way, when we look at the broken homes or even the lack of homes that we have in our society because marriage is no longer held up as a societal ideal and as a societal mandate, we see the chaos that is around us today. You know, the number one reason or the number one common factor for men that are in the Kent County Correctional Facility and probably correctional facilities all around our great nation is this one thing, that they are fatherless. Now that's not the only reason that you go to jail because there are fathers that grieve their children going to jail, but it is a huge factor. If you are in a godly family with parents that love God and love one another, thank Him today. And if you are one of those fathers who has been blessed with a family, hold on to it. It is a gift from Almighty God. Our second hope is the hope of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of prophecy. Can you imagine how miserable we would all be if God kept his promises the way you and I keep our promises? I know one of the favorite things that we used to say, and as kids and sometimes parents say this too, is the phrase, maybe. And usually you could tell by the tone of voice used and by the context of the word what it meant. Maybe it didn't usually mean maybe. Maybe usually meant yes or no based on how it was delivered. If your mom asked you, did you do all your chores while I was gone, and you said maybe, that's not a definitive article. And usually it says the exact opposite. I did not do my chores while you were gone. But fortunately, 
Jesus was able to say, it is finished. I've done the work that you asked me to do. Now glorify me, he said in John chapter 17, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. We can't even begin to comprehend that today, right now. But it says in verses 7 to 12, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though ye now see him not, not believing, yet believing, ye rejoice with, uns- with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost Sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So we look at this and we see one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite verses. Whom having not seen, ye love. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Because you have seen me, you have believed me. Blessed are they who have not seen me. And yet, this is an acknowledgement by Peter that not everybody, and perhaps most of the people that were reading his epistle, had never seen Jesus Christ in bodily form. And yet, they loved him. Why? Because of the redemption that was available through him. And the trials of our faith are made, as we mentioned earlier today in the breaking of bread, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When metal is, when metal is purified, it is purified through fire. We often learn more through our sufferings than we do through our good times. I had a friend once ask me, he said, why does God always get out his two-by-four when he's dealing with me? So we've all had two-by-four times with God. I said, the reason is because we don't listen to the still, small voice. So he has to get louder and louder. But he does it because he loves us. And then he says, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What did Jesus say? He said, in the world you'll have tribulation. But then he said this, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We can rejoice with joy unspeakable in time of persecution because of his mercy toward us. And then he talks about all the prophets looked into these things, inquired, searched diligently. 
He said, um, they, were, they testified of Jesus. You know, the Pharisees said, well, we're Moses' disciples. Or we're Abraham's children. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would love me. Because Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. You ever think about that? That Abraham, he believed God, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. The grace of God was active in the Old Testament. And that Abraham heard from God, through you, all nations of the world will be blessed. And he knew, somehow intrinsically, that Jesus was coming. He didn't know Jesus' name, but he knew Jesus was coming. And I believe strongly that he had an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ. Because the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord visited Abraham and said, This time next year, you will have a son. And it says, Sarah laughed in her tent. And then the angel of the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? And she said, I laugh not. And he said, indeed, you did laugh. But what I am saying to you is true. And that time, the following year, Isaac was born. Because God keeps his promises. And uh, the angels... They look into these things because they cannot experience the kind of relationship that we can have with a holy God. They are not made in the image of God. Okay, let's look at um, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. I referred to this earlier, but it's good for us to look at it. This is um, uh, Jesus' encounter with Thomas. And then Luke 24, 25 to 27, if someone can have that ready as well. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we see again the testimony of Thomas, which incidentally I rejoice in because it shows that God meets us where we are. And it shows us the truth of Romans chapter 5 where it says, Oh, we are yet without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. Thomas didn't have the strength to believe. Jesus gave it to him. And then Luke 24, 25 to 27. 
said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Who did he begin with? He began with Moses. Remember what I said about the Pharisees? They said, we're Moses' disciples. And Jesus said, Moses testified of me. And then he used Moses' testimony to show who he was. In John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I am. And it's interesting to me that in John chapter 18, when he's in the garden, they said, we're, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell down backwards. If any of them thought that they were taking Jesus by force, they totally missed what happened in the garden. Because he allowed them to take him. So our first two points in review, the hope of an incorruptible inheritance, the hope of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of prophecy. I don't know what the odds are, but Jesus fulfilled many hundreds of prophecies, and the odds of one person fulfilling all of them are astronomical. Daniel Rose, head of the Jewish Department of Bible Institute of Los Angeles, dealing with one of his Jewish friends, said, I want you to read a portion of the Bible, and when I have finished, I want you to tell me what part of the Bible I have been reading. He agreed, and opening my Bible, I began to read from Isaiah's prophecy, beginning with the 13th verse of chapter 52 and reading through 53, which marvelous passage has been called by some the Gospel of the Old Testament. When I had finished, I asked this friend what part of the Bible I've been reading. Without hesitation, he replied, from the New Testament. And to whom does it refer? Again, without the slightest hesitation, the answer came back. It refers to Jesus of Nazareth. When my Bible still opened to the page I had been reading, I showed my friend that I had not been reading from the New Testament, but from the Old Testament. But I said, your second reply is correct. For this Old Testament passage does refer to Jesus Christ, and this Jesus is our true Messiah. Since that day, Mr. Rose has repeated this procedure with many others in leading them to Christ. So the prophets, as Peter says here, gave indication and showed the way to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, I go, I'm here to prepare the way, to make the path straight. To prepare for the coming of the Lord. So our third hope. The hope of the power for right living. The hope of the power for right living. And for that we're going to read uh, 1 Peter 1, 13-21. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind... Be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, 
So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect or person, is judges according to every man's work, past the, the time of your sojourning here in fear, for so much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times to you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So we see here that um, when when we're I've heard uh, a speaker say that when there's a therefore you have to think about what it's there for I think the same applies for wherefore what is the wherefore there for and the reason that the wherefore is there is because Peter is saying because of your incorruptible inheritance because of Jesus, who was a fulfillment of prophecy, because you've been given this gift, now you have responsibilities. You have things that you need to do. Now, it's very important that we distinguish that I'm not talking about a works-based gospel. Because all of us are failable. And I often tell people, if I was responsible for keeping my salvation, I would lose it. Because I, I lose a lot of things. I'm good at losing things. But I don't have to worry about losing this. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. So, when Peter is giving us these directives, he's giving directives to people that already have the power to do the things he's saying. So he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought to you unto the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said. He said, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says, Peter says, this is the way you used to walk. You used to walk in fear. You used to walk and do all these sins according to the ignorance that you had. But he says, now don't do that. And then he says, be holy for I am holy. Now, how... Can he tell us to be holy when we are imperfect? The reason is because God gives us the power to be holy. And Peter is talking of a, of a, of a power that he knows about. See, this is the same man, physically speaking, that said three times after Jesus' arrest, I do not know the man. 
And then he went away and wept bitterly. But then Jesus said, Go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going before you into Galilee. And then he gave Peter, the same one who denied him three times, three times to affirm his love. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And by the third time, Peter's exasperated. He's like, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. But see, it wasn't for Jesus. Because Jesus already knew Peter's heart. Why did he ask him those questions those three times? He asked them for Peter. He asked him so that Peter would know that he had the opportunity to affirm Jesus and that he did so. And then he talks about that we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this too in Corinthians. He says, do you not know that you were bought with a price? Therefore you are not your own, but you are God's. I don't think we stop and consider that enough. I know I don't. I am God's. I am His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He has before ordained, that I should walk in them. I don't need to fear what tomorrow brings because He has planned it out. The Bible says that man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. If you had told me a decade ago that I'd be working in a Christian school after being homeschooled my whole life, I wouldn't have believed it. But I believe with all my heart that it's where God has me and I'm able to make a difference in the lives of children, many from the inner city, on a daily basis. To show them that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who has a wonderful plan for their lives. So what is our fourth and final point? Oh, I did want to look at one, just one quick cross-reference for the third point. If someone could look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I also had written down, we won't go there for sake of time. Many of us know Galatians 2, 20. So consider that one as well. But Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling aroma. Paul also said, in another passage, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Now are you, am I, following Christ in such a way that we can say with confidence, imitate me? That's a challenge to me. I know that some days it's just not true. That's why the job of a minister is not to point at himself, but to point to Christ. Because 
Andrew will fail you, but Jesus never fails. Our final point, our final hope in this passage, is the hope of eternal life. And this is the hope that we are all striving for. This is the hope that we celebrate in the Lord's table. And it says in verses 22 through 25, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men is as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. That's why when someone comes to you in the name of God... And says that John chapter 14 is outdated. That we have further revelation. Shun him. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he never rescinded those words. Peter Peter and John said this. In Acts chapter 4, Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The power that raised that lame man to walking after 40 years from birth. I'm 40 this year. That'd be like if I was raised to walking after 40 years. The only power that could possibly do that is the power of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save. And he mentions in this short passage that we just read, he mentions love of the brethren twice in four verses. So do you think it's important? I think it's important. You know, sometimes we tend to if we're doing a particular book study or a particular study, we skip around when identical passages or when similar passages are, are put forth because we already studied that. But my thought process has always been that if God says something once, it's important. If he repeats himself, it's even more important. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. He says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And Peter is following that up and showing that to us today. If we can look at John, um, well, actually, I referenced this before. John 10, 27 to 30. I'm not going to read it today. I will encourage you to go back and look at that again, but about how my sheep hear my voice. The three-year-old felt secure in his father's arms as dad stood 
in the middle of the pool, but Dad, for fun, began slowly walking toward the deep end, gently chanting, deeper and deeper and deeper, as the water rose higher and higher on the child. The lad's um, face registered increasing degrees of panic as he held on all the more tightly to his father, who, of course, easily touched the bottom. Had the little boy been able to analyze the situation, he'd have realized there was no reason for his increased anxiety. The water's depth in any part of the pool was over his head. Even in the shallowest part, had he not been held up, he'd have drowned. His safety anywhere in that pool depended on his dad. At various points in our lives, all of us feel like we're getting out of our depth. Problems abound, a job is lost, someone dies. Our temptation is to panic, for we feel we've lost control. Yet as with the child in the pool, the truth is we've never been in control over the most valuable things in our life. We're always being held up by the grace of God our Father, and that does not change. God is never out of his depth. And therefore, we're safe when we're going deeper. We're, we're, we're safe when we're going deeper. And we're safer than we've ever been. And that was from Charles Ryrie. And what a good picture of what we're reading here. You know, as Peter doesn't say, flee into a room and be by yourself. He doesn't say, shun suffering and persecution. He remembers what Jesus said. Happy are you if men revile you for my sake. And if you read in Acts, over and over again, they're persecuted and they run back to their friends and they rejoice and they pray for more boldness. But my friends... You cannot rejoice in the things that we're rejoicing. You cannot have any of these four hopes that were mentioned today if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ who is the provider of those hopes. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. But it also says that if we do not believe, we're condemned already because we have not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. There's only two choices, condemned or not condemned. If you look at the New Testament story of Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, he could not leave heaven or that uh, manifestation of heaven to go to the rich man in hell and dip his finger into a cup of water and give him water. Because between him and the rich man, there was a great gall fixed. Between us and God, there's a great gall fixed. But the cross is the bridge for that gulf. So may I ask you, may I challenge you to trust Jesus, the one who gave his all to you on the cross. Do you realize that the one that created the world stretched forth his hand on that cross? 
that he created the Roman soldiers that were pounding the nails into his hands and feet. Every once in a while I think about that and I am in awe of that fact. And when he was on the cross, he wasn't crying out for relief. If you leaned closer that day, you would hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And do you realize that the Father answered that prayer that day for the thief on the cross said, This man has done nothing amiss. Father, or he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Jesus' prayer answered. There was a Roman centurion that was looking down or looking up at the cross. Said truly, this man was the Son of God. And I can't say for sure, but my Hope in my prayer is that someone found him after Jesus' resurrection and said, the cross wasn't the end of the story. And neither was the tomb. Because it's empty. He's alive. It's the very reason that we're meeting here today is because Jesus Christ is alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this book of 1 Peter. And Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to study it. And uh, I pray that as we continue to study it and other parts of your word, that you would bless us. That you would help us to draw closer to you. You say in James, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to do so. That we may approach you with boldness, God, who provides everything in our time of need. And now I ask as we go our separate ways that you would bless the saints of grace Bible chapel, that you'd make your face shine upon them, and that you'd give them peace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.